The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. is the Ann Arbor City Planning Commission meeting, Tuesday, December 18th, 2012. Commission public meetings are held the first and third Tuesday of each month. Both of these meetings provide opportunities for the public to address the commission. Persons with disabilities are encouraged to participate. Accommodations, including sign language interpreters, may be arranged by contacting the city clerk's office at 734 794-6140 at least 24 hours in advance. Planning Commission meeting agendas and packets are available from the Legislative Information Center on the City Clerk's page of the City's website or on the first floor of City Hall on the Friday before the meeting. Agendas and packets are also sent to subscribers of the City's email notification service, GovDelivery. You can subscribe to this free service by accessing the city's website and clicking on the red envelope at the top of the homepage. These meetings are typically broadcast on Ann Arbor Community Television Network Channel 16, 
live at 7 p.m. on the first and third Tuesdays of the month and replayed the following Wednesdays at 10 a.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. Recent meetings can also be streamed online from the CTN Video On Demand page of the city's website. We'll start with number one, a call to order. Here we are. Uh, number two, roll call. Commissioner Gianola. Here. Commissioner Klein. Here. Commissioner Breer. Here. Commissioner Derzinski. Here. Commissioner Mahler. Here. Secretary Bona. Here. So we have a quorum. Um, item number three is approval of the agenda. With six members, we should be able to do everything on our agenda. So um, moved by Commissioner Mahler, seconded by Commissioner Briere. All those in favor, raise your right hand and say yes. 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 That is everyone. Number four, introductions and presentations. I think our only presentation tonight is the CIP, and that will be later. Okay. Item number five, minutes of a previous meeting. We've got the minutes from November 20th in our packets. Um, does someone want to move those minutes? Commissioner Mahler, seconded by Commissioner Klein. Any comments on the minutes from November 20th? Okay, all those in favor, raise your right hand and say yes. 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 That is unanimous. Item number six, reports from city administration, city council, planning manager, planning commission officers and committees, written communications and petitions. 6A is city council. Commissioner Briere, would you like to bring us up to date on council? I'd love to. Uh, I'll confess that I did not make it to last night's council meeting, but there were no planning commission items on the agenda. However, um, staff kindly provided me with a written update for the council, which I tinkered with just a tiny bit and sent to all members of the council. This uh, written update included an update on the Washington Corridor Study, the State Street Corridor Study, the eight. 2D2 review, the design guidelines review, the um, citizen participation ordinance review, and um, a sort of a status report on where we stand on the R4C R2A study and the um, Zorro project. So those members who had time to read it actually wrote and thanked me for it. Thank you. It's nice to hear that we now feel good about everything we're working on. Um, item 6B, planning manager. Yes, uh, two things. Your next meeting will be in 2013. It is a Thursday meeting because of the New Year's Day, so it's uh, January 3rd. So hopefully you have that on your calendars. Um, and then also, as uh, uh, Commissioner Abreer mentioned, there's a whole laundry list of updates that um, I can provide you at some point. But one of the things I wanted to highlight is the citizen participation uh, ordinance evaluation. The developer survey went out yesterday, and the citizen survey should go out via Gov Delivery tomorrow. Uh, so within five minutes, I had three responses on the, the uh, developer uh, questionnaire, so hopefully we'll get a good response. That was sent only to those uh, developers that had requested our mailing list for um, citizen, citizen notification postcards. So it's a fairly small group. The um, other survey will go out to all of the subscribers to the planning updates, so there are 2,000-plus addresses, and it could be forwarded 
to members of the public. So hopefully we'll get a good response to those um, two surveys and report back to you in January. That's it. Great. Thank you. 6C, Planning Commission Officers and Committees. Any updates? It's only been a couple weeks, I expect. To, we haven't had many meetings. I don't think in the last couple weeks. So um, moving on to 6D, written communications and petitions. Um, there were some things in our packet that um, some communications for, I believe, some of them do refer to our agenda tonight. Item number seven is audience participation. This is for anyone who would like to address the commission on anything that is not under num item number nine on our agenda. So if there's something that's not on our agenda and you'd like to address the commission, we have an opportunity now and there'll be another opportunity to address the commission on anything at the end of the meeting. Okay, moving on to item eight, public hearings scheduled for the next meeting, and I didn't see any in the packet, so. Okay. <laughs> item number nine, regular business. We will have a staff report, a public hearing, and commission discussion on each of these items. If an agenda item is tabled, it will most likely be rescheduled for a future date. If you would like to be notified when a tabled item will appear on a future agenda, please provide your email address on the form provided at the front table. There are also agendas up there if you need one, the blue ones. You may also call Planning and Development Services at 734-794-6265 during office hours to obtain additional information about the review schedule or visit the planning page on the city's website. So we'll start out with a staff report on the first project. It's Parkway Place rezoning for city council approval. It's a request to rezone this 1.22 acre parcel located at 490 Huron Parkway from R3 Townhouse District to R1B Single Family Dwelling District to allow creation of three single family lots. Chris, go ahead. Okay, the uh, zoning of this site is R3, which is townhouse, is located on the east side of Huron Parkway, just north of Ruthven Park. It is surrounded by R3 zoning. There was a recent land division that is separating this site from the parent parcel that was approved earlier this year. That one remains R3, and currently there is a single family house currently under construction. It's a little difficult to see, uh, but it's on the east side of the site. Uh, there is uh, park zoning to the south, you have the Huron High School to the west, and you have townhomes to the north and to the east. The petitioner is proposing to rezone this site to R1B, which is single family residential. Uh, at this time, it's just a rezoning, but the petitioner has indicated in the future they will divide this site into three single family lots. Uh, here you can see the proposed uh, three lots at this time, um, which is not under review, but just the rezoning. It is accessed off of one curb cut from here on Parkway. Here you can see the uh, proposed, or the, the, uh, the house that's under construction, that's remaining R3 and the access drive to the other um, lots to the, uh, well, actually to the east or to the south of this site. You can see them just off to the right. And again, here's a close-up of where the future houses uh, they're proposing to construct. 
staff recommends approval of this, this site as it generally conforms with the master plan, which supports uh, multifamily residential at this site. Uh, it would be a transition from the R3 to the north and, uh, down to the R1, which is single family, down to the, the park. And I'm open for any questions you may have. Thanks, Chris. We'll now um, open the public hearing. Individuals may speak for three minutes. The first person who is the official representative of an organized group or who is representing the petitioner may speak for five minutes. Additional representatives may speak for three minutes. Anyone wishing to address the commission on this project? And please state your name and address for the record. Uh, hi, I'm Greg Elliott. I'm an attorney uh, from Ann Arbor. Uh, I have office at 202 East Washington Street in Ann Arbor. I'm just here filling in for uh, uh, Lewis Johnson, who's the proprietor, and uh, Brad Cousineau, who's the engineer. They both uh, had other engagements tonight, so Lewis called me today, and hence my casual attire. I didn't plan on coming to the Planning Commission meeting tonight, but uh, I asked me if I'd stop by and, and fill in. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I have nothing that I want to present uh, by way of argument or anything like that, but I'm here if you have any questions. I'm somewhat familiar with the, with the project and the site. Great, thank okay. you. Anyone else like to address the commission on this project? I'm Arlene. I'm sorry, you need to come up to the microphone um, so they can hear you at home. So. And just give your name and address for I'm the record. I'm Arlene Shai, 515 Heritage Drive in the Heritage Ridge condominium development. And our concern is under the issue of grading, the, um, we're concerned that the sleep, steep slope that is between the new site and Heritage Ridge needs to be sta stabilized. It's very um, risky the way it has been left. And also the developer has not repaired the sod that was destroyed when the water um, hydrant was connected. When they made the cut into the side of the hill that was necessary to connect to the water hydrant, which is at the very top of the ridge, uh, trees were cut, large trees were cut. Nothing has been done to either repair that sod or stabilize the bank on that, on that very steep grade. So that is the concern of the residents of Heritage Ridge. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, we will close the public hearing and open up or begin the uh, Planning Commission discussion. I will read the motion. The Ann Arbor City Planning Commission hereby recommends that the Mayor and City Council approve the Parkway Place rezoning from R3 Townhouse Dwelling District to R1B Single Family Dwelling District subject to revised legal descriptions being submitted and approved prior to City Council action. Someone to move that? Commissioner Briere, seconded by Commissioner Klein. Who would like to go first? Commissioner Derezinski. Uh, thank you. Uh, I was at the public meeting uh, 
on this, and I recall those objections being made. Um, and I, I'm wondering, I'd, I'd address this, uh, I think, to you, Chris. Uh, have these problems been taken care of? I mean, this was in June, I think, we had the meeting. The problems have not been taken care of as of yet. I did speak with our grading inspector. He did meet out on site with the petitioner, uh, the representative, and they are going to uh, put, stabilize that steep slope that was referenced earlier. So that is still outstanding. But this is actually off-site. This, this uh, piece of property has been divided. So the steep slope, the house that's currently under construction mm -hmm. um, that you can see up on the screen, um, so it's technically off-site, but we are aware of this, and uh, you know we will hold any type of CO for the site until these problems are addressed. Good. Uh, the other uh, question I think was brought up was uh, at least this part portion of the uh, uh, of what we're doing here has only uh, contemplating three sites. Is that correct? That's correct. Is it uh, capable of more, or is there any idea that there might be more added to that? No, they're right now what they're representing is they'll come back in with a land division for approximately three lots. It is 1.22 acres, which is around 53,000 square feet. The R1B requires a minimum lot size of 10,000 square feet. So yes, they could um, come in with more lots under this, uh, probably a maximum of five. But at this time, there's no, we don't know of any uh, plan for that. I think the notes here said something. There is no other construction contemplated at this that's, time. That's correct. There's no land division proposed, but it's, it's eventually going to be um, proposed, I think, probably soon. Okay, and another question I think that was raised was, uh, I think it was partly the, the surprise at the amount of trees that were cut down. Uh, and there was concern with that, but my recollection was also that one of the answers to that was that given that this is a residential development such as it is, that there is no requirement uh, in, in, in that type of rezoning uh, to uh, replace trees or that's, to prohibit the cutting down of trees. That's correct. Single family residential is exempt um, from natural features review. Okay, thank you for being on top of this. Yep. Thank you. Commissioner Breer. This is also for staff. I, I note that this is about, that, that the entrance into this area is proposed to be about 130 feet from the intersection of Gettys and Huron Parkway. I'm wondering if there's been any consideration of traffic safety. Uh, I've been hearing about some significant uh, issues with speed and um, how that well that intersection actually works for both pedestrians and cars. And so I'm wondering, with that as close as it is to the intersection, what the impact might be. Yeah, the traffic engineer did approve this, uh, just when, in our brief discussion with this, because it's such a low impact and low volume, probably looking at probably four single family homes, it didn't merit any type of traffic study since it's such a, a low uh, intensity of a use. Will the existing house use the same driveway, the one that's under construction? Yeah. Yes, they're all going to access to the same curb cut off from here on Parkway. Thank you. Commissioner Gianola? Um, to follow up on that, there's only one curb cut allowed, correct? That's correct. Right, so they can't cut any more driveways in there. That's, that's correct. Commissioner Klein? And th this is also for staff. And how is uh, stormwater handled for the uh, individual parcels? Is that on it when permits are pulled? Well, at this time, they are exempt because they're single-family residential. 
they do not have to site plan under single family residential. They still need to meet the recent amendments oh. to the code that provide for impervious surface for uh, single family dwellings. So they'll have to do either rain garden or um, rain barrels, depending on the amount of impervious surface. And that's as part of the permitting process, they? Yeah. That's correct. Um, I've got um, first a couple questions. Um, Chris, one of the comments made in the um, justification is less environmental impact as far as impervious area created. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm going to take a little exception to that and put it in the context of impervious area per dwelling unit. And single-family homes tend to actually create more impervious area, partially because of their size and partially because of long driveways. Um, do we have any staff thought on impervious area per dwelling unit in a townhouse versus a single-family home of the size that these are? Well, we, we don't have any study as far as how much the townhouse versus a single-family home. If it were townhouse, it would have to come in, get site plan, and then be under the review um, of staff to, to meet the uh, county drain commissioner rules. Mm -hmm. So, yes, if it remains R3 and it is site plan, it would have probably, it, anything more than 5,000 square feet of impervious would have to detain. Mm -hmm. So that's also a difference. In addition to theoretically there being less impervious surface per dwelling unit in a townhouse, we would also potentially get greater stormwater requirements because of the site plan requirements. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, I, yes, if I understand, it's likely, yes. If it's more than 5,000 square feet of impervious, they definitely would have to follow the rules of the drain commissioner's office. Um, and the other question I had sent to you earlier, I think is one that hasn't come up much before, so I will understand if you don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. um, but it keeps coming up relative to um, the difference between more suburban development versus more urban development, and that's the taxable value. Um, do we have any idea what the taxable value of three single-family homes is compared to 12 townhouses? I, I did get an opportunity to talk with the uh, assistant um, city assessor regarding that. I, I can tell you right now, as a vacant property, it's approximately assessed at about $300,000 for this site. Um, but per him, it, per the assessor, uh, the market really dictates what this site is going to be taxed at because this site has been vacant for for 30 plus years as mm -hmm. far as we know Although there's has, a new house on a piece of it correct to the to the north part that's mm -hmm. right um that since it's it's the market that dictates we, you know and it's been vacant and zoned r3 for so long who's to say that you could get 10 to 12 units on there if it if it were to support that many units it probably would have been developed with that many units so it's, it's difficult for him to quantify what the, the property could be developed, but he thinks the market and the developer typically find the highest and best use for the property. And at this time, if, if it's three dwelling units, that's what he would go with. Okay, um, the gentleman who's here, um, let me just ask you a couple questions kind of just along the same lines to get the idea of, of what, um, what Mr. Johnson is thinking. Um, the Huron Parkway is a bus route. Um, and most single-family homes of this size don't ride buses. It would be a shame to use some of our limited property left in the city for a development that wouldn't actually add to the usage of our bus system. 
So what's the, can you share anything from the owner's rationale as to why they would put single family homes in an area that's completely surrounded by townhouses? Well, a couple, a couple things. So it, of course, single family homes are permitted now uh, under the R3 zoning mm -hmm. as well. They, they're a permitted use. Uh, uh, you know, they, they could build them under the current zoning. It, it becomes something of a practical problem, and maybe Chris can comment better on this than I can, but practical problem in terms of laying them out because the same setbacks that would apply to a, to a larger townhouse development still apply to the single-family home. So you end mm -hmm. up with kind of weird-shaped uh, lots. But, you know, Chris is right. The, there has not been a market, uh, and, and I know Lewis did try to develop, I think a plan was submitted early on uh, for a townhouse project on the site, and uh, that did not work out. Well, there are constraints on the site, uh, I believe, in terms of the, the there's wetlands on the site uh, that limits the developable area uh, of the property. Um, but yeah, you know, so will these people ride the bus? Well, one would hope they, they still would, but um, uh, you know, it, it's just not, there just hasn't been an ability the way this, this I mean, this piece is kind of, to the degree that it, and I know so many years ago when I worked, you know, in town all the time for Lewis as an attorney, <laughs> I, I worked on this piece of ground. And I remember that, um, I mean, this is 10 years ago at least, and that's when we started trying to develop this. And, and uh, uh, it's essentially a fill piece. It was fill that was, to the degree it's developable at all, it's fill that was placed on there from the construction of the townhouse projects to the north at the time that that was all one uh, property. And so it's not, you know, it, it's severely limited in terms of what you can, what you can do with it. The topography that there is not natural. And, uh, you know, I think they're trying to, to, to make the development fit the land as, as, best, they, as best they can. Uh, of course, the site that's been split off uh, and sold, uh, you know, Lewis is building the house on that site too, I think. I don't know that for a fact, but I think he's probably building that house. And, uh, you know, these are, the, these are the people that he's found that are interested in... Uh, in, in using that property are single-family users. I mean, it's really, it, it's true that it's surrounded by R3, but it's really, if you look at the zoning map that's uh, appended to the report, uh, it's really not far away from single-family neighborhoods either. I think there's one kind of kitty corner just beyond uh, Ruthven Park, and then, on, of course, on the other side of Gettys Lake, uh, there's, this, there's an R1, I believe that's an R1B district over there as well. So. You know, it's it's not not entirely out of character for the area, and uh, you know, but more than anything, it was about the the request for rezoning comes about not because the use that they want to uh, put the land to isn't permitted now, but rather to better facilitate the layout of of homes on the on the sites because of the the larger setbacks that uh, are associated with uh, the the R3 zoning. Okay. Thank you. Um, I guess I'm, I'm not going to be able to support this. Um, the master plan calls for multifamily, and um, when we have 70,000 people a day commuting into the city, putting a couple of single-family homes where we could have um, 
more dense development right on one of our bus routes. Um, I, you know, single-family homes should be built out in the townships where they don't want bus service. So um, that's my feeling on that. So anybody else have any other comments? Commissioner Derezinski? I, I think this is, uh, you, you refreshed my memory. Um, I think I recall some of the pre prior projects that uh, was going to, we're going to build here but never came to fruition. Should this be granted, when would you start construction? Because I am still concerned with the fact of the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, dis you know, the right now that the site looks like does not look good uh, yeah. with regard to the lawn being uh, or the sod being displaced and everything like that. I mean, is this going to stay here like this for a while or what? No. So the infrastructure that would support these lots is basically there. I mean, and it's worth noting that the, a lot of the trees that came down came down because of the need to loop the water main back to the townhouse projects. When those were built, the water main loop was never uh, created. And so this project has now built that loop and, and built it, uh, looped it back out, I think probably down the road here too, here on Parkway. Um, but the, the, the issues that you heard about are issues with respect to the, the, I believe, the construction of this home that's underway right now as opposed to these three lots which are separate. Now, uh, I do think Lewis has some control over that and as Chris pointed out, if he wants to get a certificate of occupancy for that house, then all those problems have to be corrected in order to occupy the house. And as a, as a typical matter, I mean, you want to get all those things done uh, before the before the snow flies, if you possibly can. Can you give me some specifics as to the time frame that you envision for that? Uh, yeah, I think that the issues of stabilizing the uh, the soils uh, can certainly be done. Um, you know, in in a few weeks. A few weeks. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that uh, Chris brought that up and is on top of it with you. We, we're done with the, with the with the public hearing. Um, any other commission discussion? Commissioner Klein. Thank you, Commissioner. The, the um, one thing that concerns me about the the petition here is in, in listing the benefits and and they make a point of saying less environmental impact as far as impervious area energy used in national feature presentation pre preservation. Excuse me, but the fact is by rezoning to um, to the requested uh, zone that the there is no natural feature preservation required. There is no stormwater uh, treatment required. And um, typically, as I think uh, Commissioner Bona had stated, that single-family homes do have a bigger environmental footprint in terms of impervious area than, than multifamily on a per-unit basis. So I'm not sure that that, um, that comment is, is, a, is a, those are valid justifications for the rezoning. Um, I'm not sure where the benefit is to the city in terms of following through with the rezoning of this, um, it is true that there would be, there should be less traffic uh, than if it was uh, 12 units in here. And I think that might be a, a marginal benefit to the city. Um, but I, I, I find myself sort of on the fence on this one in terms of whether it's, it's really in our best interest to support it. Any other planning commission discussion? Commissioner Mahler? Well, I think the benefit to the city is it'll get developed and taxes will be collected and people will move there 
and it won't be it won't be unoccupied anymore. I think that's the benefit of the city is that we have a developer who wants to follow through with it. Whether they ride the bus or not, taxes are going to be collected, things are going to be developed, jobs are going to be created, and this land is going to be occupied, which is better than what we got now. I mean, that's a benefit to the city, from my mind. So I, I, I don't have a problem supporting this project under any of the concerns that we've raised so far here. Any more discussion? Are you ready to vote? All those in favor, raise your right hand and say yes. 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 We've got five. All those opposed? Me. So that's five to one. Um, I believe we need six for a recommendation to city council. You can go to city council. It'll go as a technical denial because we need at least six positive votes. But. Okay. I understand. Thank you. Okay, item 9-2, Blue Heron Pond, planned project site plan for city council approval. A proposal to construct 65 residential units in nine buildings using the existing drives, parking, and utilities constructed for the former West Town project located, located at 2536 West Liberty Street on this 8.32 acre site. A planned project modification is requested to reduce the spacing between building J and building C at the southwest corner of the site facing West Liberty from 20 feet to 15.7 feet. We'll begin with a staff presentation. Go ahead, Matt. Okay, thank you. All right, you can see the subject site here. Um, with the cross hatching, it's on the corner of um, Liberty and Maple. It's uh, zoned R4B. Uh, zoomed out aerial photo of the shot. Again, you can see the proximity to I-94 as well as right directly on the corner of Liberty and Maple. It's adjacent to uh, C3 zoning to the north and C3 zoning to the west. Um, here's a much closer in aerial. Um, so you can see many of you may have been, uh, I'm not sure, some of you may have been around in, in 2005, I believe Bonnie was, where um, the site had previously come in under the West Town. Uh, it was site planned under the name of West Town. It was proposed for 87 units. Um, the, the developer, the previous developer, previous owner of the site came in and built all the infrastructure um, and one structure which you can currently see on the site. That structure uh, contains 11 units which are now occupied. So I'll um, go through some pictures of the site really quickly here. Um, this, this photo is taken from the corner of uh, West Town Street and um, Maple. So I'm looking, this is looking southwest. You can see the, um, obviously the existing building, the one that's occupied in the background there. In between where I'm standing in there is, there's a small detention basin in front here and there's a uh, large wetland in the middle there. Um, here's a site, or sorry, a picture showing a building site. Again, this is where the original sales trailer were, was for the West Town project. Um, there will be a building located there. Um, this is looking from the, um, this is from the northwest corner of the site. We're kind of looking in, again, with the existing building that's occupied right there on the right and the wet, west, the wetland over to your left. And in the foreground, there will be two of the buildings that will be constructed in that area, the grassy pad. Um, again, another site looking where there will be, uh, to, to the left is the existing 
structure that contains the 11 units. To your right, there will be uh, new, new buildings as well as you're looking directly at um, Liberty here in the background and there will be buildings that will align Liberty. This is looking down the sidewalk towards the west um, along Liberty. Again, the existing building and you'll see the newer structures that would be constructed in this area here. So again, um, the petitioner at this time is requesting the uh, plan project site plan approval to construct an additional 53 units for the site. So there'd be a total of 64 units on, on the site when, after construction is completed. There will be a total of nine buildings, which again, you can see outlined here on the, uh, on the slide. They're located pretty much around the wetland as well as along Liberty Street. The plan project designation is requested for this building here. Uh, detached buildings are required to have a 20-foot separation. This building has a 15.7-foot uh, separation. So they do request a plan project in order to reduce that distance for the building separation. They are proposing to utilize all of the existing drives that are in there. There'll be some slight configuration for a reconfiguration for some parking areas and things, but for the most part, the existing drive will be left in place. Um, they are proposing a mix of two and three bedroom units and they'll, race, they'll range in size from about 1,000 square feet to about 2,500 square feet. Um, again, as part of the justification for their planned project request, they are um, providing 65% open space where the code for the R4B district does require 55%, so it's about 10% more and the only plan project modification is the building separation distance. The previous plan, some may remember, did have a plan project designation. That was to bring the, the units along Liberty closer to the street. However, since that time, we've had our area height and placement modifications, and they, they now comply with that. So they don't need the plan, product, plan project modification for that, only for the building separation. Um, again, e each unit will have a one-car garage, a one-car attached garage. They'll have bicycle parking located in there. There is also bicycle parking located um, in a couple, of, I think two locations around the site. One is along the north. I think there's one in another location over here. Um, there's several small visitor parking lots that are located around there. They'll have a total of uh, 36 surface parking spaces and about nine small little parking lots, indentations sprinkled conveniently around the site. Um, as you can see from some of the pictures, there are sidewalks both along Liberty as well as along Maple Road. Uh, they are proposing to add a small sidewalk from the existing, there you go, the existing drive right there to uh, the development. As part of the, the so the, pre, the current owner purchased the site, I believe, in early this year. So as part of uh, the requirement, and it, it, at, up till that time, the existing units, although completed in 2006, were vacant. Um, they, they were only occupied at the beginning of this year. So as part of the requirement for those uh, certificates of occupancy to be issued for those existing 11 units, uh, all utilities were inspected and accepted by the city. Um, there was an original wetland mitigation plan that was required for, obviously, for any impact to the wetland. That was uh, reassessed. Our city staff did go out there and look at the wetland, assess the vegetation in there, and there was some, there was some updating that was required. Some, uh, they may have had to plant a couple of extra trees, but the bottom line is our natural feature staff did go out there and accept the wetland as, it's, as it is right now and as com in compliance with the approved <coughs> wetland mitigation plan. 
This current plan is, will not impact the wetland in any way. They'll stay, they'll maintain the 25 foot required natural features buffer. So they're not, they're not required to do any kind of natural features mitigation. There are no landmark trees that will be disturbed. Again, as from the pictures, you could see that the site is pretty much cleared. Um, stormwater management is accomplished in a couple of ways. There's a small basin in, in this area here, but the majority of it is, is underground behind the units along the western side of the site as well as kind of in the, uh, it'd be the southeastern corner of the site over here. There's some underground detention in that area as well. Uh, they were required to uh, hold a citizen participation meeting, which they did in October. Uh, some of the comments that were raised at that time were impact to the wetlands, I believe the unit composition, of things like that were, were discussed at that meeting and, and for the most part those issues either have been addressed or um, were, already have, were already addressed previously. Um, I think that, again, so there was a citizen participation meeting, the public sidewalks. The, the units are all proposed to be rental units at this time. There was a condo agreement that was in place originally. However, because the units were never sold when they were originally built, the units that are there now are rented and they are proposing it to be a, a rental at this time. Um, here's a, just a, a couple of typical elevations. You can see one of the, there's, this, there's a num numerous different size buildings on the site, um, which is again one change from the previous approved plan that had some rather large buildings fronting Liberty. They're, for the most part, they've been broken up now. So those, there's some sample elevations that you can see there. And again, I mean, there is, there is a reduction of units from the previous approved plan from about 23, or there's a reduction of about 23 units over the previously approved Westtown plan. And um, I am available for any questions and staff is recommending approval at this time. There are a couple of small engineering issues that need to be addressed, but for the most part, their text changes while they do need to be addressed, staff is comfortable requesting or recommending approval at this time. Thank you. We will now open the public hearing for this project. Anyone wishing to address the commission? Please give your name and address for the record. Good evening, uh, Brad Moore with J. Bradley Moore and Associates Architects. We're the architect on the proposed uh, project. I have with me here tonight a representative from the civil engineering company, um, Scott Betzel with Midwestern uh, uh, Consulting, and I also have Mr. Jim Frank, who's with a development entity, uh, people who own the site, have purchased it, uh, and are looking to redevelop it. Uh, redevelop it. I wanted just to just highlight some of the major differences between the two projects. Um, <clears throat> this is a layout of the project that was previously approved for the site. This is the proposed layout for the site. Uh, what we've actually done is reduce the intensity of development on the site. There's uh, <coughs> smaller buildings. Uh, before they were fairly large footprint buildings. Now the buildings have been downsized. Uh, the open space has been increased. The impervious area has been reduced and the total number of dwelling units on the site has been reduced. So we're actually looking at a less intensive development of the site. We're going <coughs> to keep the road pretty much as it is and the underground utilities, all the infrastructure uh, will be maintained. Um, <coughs> the front, uh, a Liberty frontage will be reconstituted into four smaller buildings rather than two large buildings. 
And it's that attempt to break up the mass along Liberty that results in our request for the planned project. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a requirement that the separation for the buildings be 20 feet, and we're looking at just about 15 feet between the two westernmost buildings here. <clears throat> we can't encroach any farther to the west because of the existing drive, and we can't push the building any farther east because there's a water main exists right there so we're kind of limited into where we can maneuver those buildings uh, the stormwater detention system remains the same um, we've added some additional on-site parking even though we've managed to reduce the totally impervious total impervious area so that there's a, a greater ratio of guest parking uh, for the individuals who will be living there um, the <clears throat> one building that was constructed was left in a various states of completion when my client purchased the property. And as Matt said, that building has been completed now. There are people living on, on the property in those units. And the new units will be all configured, well, all except for four units will be configured side by side as townhouses. There are a couple of stacked flat units where the first floor units will be handicapped accessible. If you have any other questions, we're here to answer them. Thank you. Anyone else? would like to address the, com address the commission on this project. Okay, not seeing anyone stand up, we'll close the public hearing and I will read the motion that is before us. The Ann Arbor City Planning Commission hereby recommends that the mayor and city council approve the Blue Heron Pond planned project site plan subject to maintaining a minimum of 65% usable open space and subject to resolving outstanding systems planning unit comments prior to city council approval. Can I have someone move that? Commissioner Mahler, seconded by Commissioner Gianola. Planning Commission discussion, who would like to go first? Commissioner Klein. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, I would like to comment that I think this is a market improvement over the previous plan. And um, I would be supportive of the uh, the motion uh, to allow the reduced space, I think placing the buildings along at that scale along uh, Liberty might actually encourage some people to do some walking. The buildings have walk-up porches and things, so I think they could be quite nice. Um, I would actually like to ask a question of Scott about the wetland. And I should remember this from before, and I apologize, but it's big. At least it looks big to me. Tell us about what it is. I mean, is it really a detention pond in a low spot, or is there, what are you, what's going on there? Well, the wetland was an existing wetland prior to the previous site plan approval. Uh, the previous site plan utilized the wetland for rear yard drainage around the buildings, and we've done the same, just simply because it's physically impossible to lift the water up from that lower elevation. Gonna, maybe you want to pull the drawings closer. I'm going to make you stay close to that microphone. Um, so uh, the, the wetland will actually accept waters from the rear yards of the, of the proposed buildings as it did from the previously proposed buildings. Um, the wetland actually itself right now doesn't look anything like that, but that's just really due to recent climatic changes. There's actually two very small ponds there now and not one wetland, but I assume it will return someday. Mm -hmm. from, from my understanding, that, that wetland is mostly uh, fed from surface runoff? 
And so since we had a drought this year, it was a lot less. I see. It wouldn't surprise me if it was actually a man-made feature from way back. Okay, thank you. Anyone else have any comments or questions? Commissioner Derzinski. Looking at the second rendition of it, is that a dock? <laughs> yeah, we, we hope that uh, at some point we might be able to pro uh, provide an observation platform for the residents. The little pond that develops there when there's a lot of surface runoff is populated by ducks and, and herons and turtles and we thought it would be a nice way to give some access into that so people could observe what's going on in the pond. And one other question, I note that uh, we did get correspondence on this from a uh, uh, Dr. Judith Marks, and her question was at the citizens' participation, Mr. Frankie said that construction would begin on the north side of the property, but the staff report says that four buildings along West Liberty will be constructed first, which is? The Liberty's uh, face would be constructed first. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Breer. Because your plans actually turn this area into an amenity, how accessible will be that will that walk around the pond be for people who don't live there um, there is a connection here from the public sidewalk through the project around and back out so it will be possible for people to walk around there uh, if they don't live there thank you commissioner Mahler. Are these going to be primarily two or three bedrooms? Yes. Um, <laughs> the, we're going to configure the first two buildings both ways, and uh, as they sense the market demand, we can adjust the other buildings um, by reconfiguring them internally to provide two larger bedrooms, three smaller bedrooms. Okay. And But regardless of the number of bedrooms, just one parking unit per dwelling unit um, just one parking space per dwelling unit well there's one there the, depending upon where the units are located in the site there are some buildings that will have two internal uh, spaces for cars to park front <coughs> to back as well as a spot in front of the garage in the units that have walkout basements here in, in here and those units where the grade falls off those units would only have a single car depth garage internally, so there are there are both conditions on the site. Some of the some like the ones along Liberty, those garages will be two cars deep stacked front to back, but in the areas where we're having to deal with grade changes, those will be a single car depth. So, I mean, I note this isn't, and I guess the reason I'm leading up to is I note this isn't this project isn't big enough for a traffic study. Uh, but I imagine a lot of the people who ingress and egress from the project will, I mean, a fair number of them anyway, will be making a left turn from the curb cut onto Liberty. And that can be a, a high traffic street at certain parts of the day. And I'm wondering if there's any restrictions on, or if anybody proposed any restrictions on left turns out of that site and into that site at any times of the day, 4 to 6 p.m. or anything like that. We have not proposed any restrictions. Um, it's, it's our sense that the people who are living there will learn when it's hard to make that turn on a liberty and go out the other access on a meet. 
well, not that Maple's a whole lot less busy anyway, but uh, but overall, I think it's a, it's. I agree with Commissioner Klein. It's a much. It's nice to see it get developed, and I think this is a big improvement over what the previous site plan was. Um, <coughs> I guess we'll just see about the traffic. So, thank you, Commissioner Gianola. Um, I've heard you mentioned before that there was some visitor parking. How much exactly is there? I'm going to step away from the mic and point to it for a second. <laughs> Do you know how many spaces that is? Ask Scott for the total. I don't have that committed to memory, but I think it may be in mass report. Yeah, my concern is that if there's overflow from the people who actually live there, that there's no street parking really in the area, so there won't be enough visitor parking. Well, every unit will have at least two spots, one internal and one external. Okay. So we don't anticipate there'll be you know, a two bedroom units that there would be more than two cars per unit. There's 36 <laughs> cars, 36 surface spaces <clears throat> sprinkled throughout the lot or throughout the site. They're in a series of small lots, as you can see. Okay. Anyone else? Um, just one more question about that parking. Does that include the spaces that are behind next to the garages on the outside? It does not. Okay, so that's in addition to that. So if those, someone those put two cars inside, they could have a guest park on the outside. <coughs> um, let me ask you just an, another question. This is just more interest than um, decision-making questions. Um, the units look, or just because the buildings look smaller, the units look smaller. Um, is there a marketing change? Um, I mean, there's... You mentioned that there were 23, or Matt mentioned there were 23 fewer units, and they're smaller. Um, it's hard, you know, it's hard to imagine a developer that isn't maxing out the square footage on a site. So there must be some reason why you decided to do well, that. In point of fact, the developer uh, felt the site was too maxed out the way it was previously approved, and felt that, that was a detriment to marketing it for their purposes. So they felt that they'd have a more marketable project if it was less dense. Mm -hmm. So actually, yeah, I, I get that. And I'll just also compliment you that the change in the garages, and I guess to, to your whole team, the change in the garages is significant. Um, that original building that's just a bunch of garage doors, um, as you can see, just kind of slammed up against the road, um, always felt a little uninviting. Um, this should be much, much nicer with the doors, actual pedestrian entry doors down down at the main level. So um, thanks to your team for doing that. Because I know that can be hard to plan. <laughs> um, any other comments from the commission? Commissioner Breer? It's really a question for staff. I believe I heard you say that the small units were 1,000 square feet? Uh, yes, 980 square feet is what I have listed. Okay, uh, the reason I ask that is because the citizen participation report states that at that meeting, the response to how big these would be was between 1,400 and 2,100 square feet. So perhaps you can help me understand <laughs> what's changed since the citizen participation um, meeting. Matt's mass report, um, the scope of Matt's report covers all the units on the site, and the smaller size unit is actually in the existing building that's already there. So it's... That 980 square foot is in this building, 
the townhouses, smallest townhouse uh, right it, right now is uh, 1,205 square feet. Um, so we wouldn't be building anything down as small as a thousand, but there are, will be that size because they're there now. Thank you. Anyone else? Are you ready to vote? Okay, all those in favor, raise your right hand and say yes. Yes. Yes, that is unanimous. So you can go to council with a recommendation of approval from the Planning Commission. Next is item D3, capital investments rezoning for city council approval. A request to rezone this 2.24 acre parcel located at 2271 South State Street from M1 Limited Industrial District to M1A Limited Light Industrial District to allow for an automobile sales use. The petitioner has requested a waiver of the area plan requirement because no new construction is proposed. We'll begin with a staff report. Chris, okay. thank you. Thank you. Uh, this site is located east of South State Street, north of Eisenhower Boulevard. It is surrounded by Office and M1. To the north, it is a combination of Office and M1, where it's a vacant parcel. In fact, what are the aerial? Uh, and to the east, it has the bus storage. To the south is a beautician's uh, business. And to the west is the U of M uh, sports facility. I think it's a tennis facility. The petitioner is proposing to rezone this site from M1, which is limited industrial, to M1A. Uh, the only difference really is in the allowable uses. In this case, it will allow for automobile uh, sales. The petitioner is not proposing any changes to the site. There are three existing buildings on the site. One is, um, well, there's an extra one that has not been completed. The footings have been installed. Um, but they are proposing to repair cars in the rear warehouse building, which is to the east, and sell the cars towards the existing 1,800 square foot building facing South State Street, and parking the cars up in the parking area facing South State Street. The petitioner is not proposing any changes to this site uh, at this time, and that's why they're requesting an area plan waiver. Again, this is the building that's fronting South State Street where they would do the automotive sales. You can uh, kind of see in the area where it's a little faded. That's where the automobile sales will take place. The site uh, slopes quite drastically. You can't see the buildings to the rear. It's probably a 20 or 30 foot drop off to the rear back there. I believe there's pictures. This is the footings uh, that have been incomplete. Uh, this was an approved site plan back in around 2000, 2001. They started construction and it was never finished. Again, this is an area of another access point off of South State Street that's currently blocked. Um, so that it would come out, the, the access to this site is going to be off from um, the part that's going to be the sales office. Let's see. Okay, we can go back. So uh, staff recommends denial of the, of the proposed zoning from M1 to M1A. Uh, as the, the uh, master plan recommends industrial uses currently, but there's also uh, a corridor study, the South State Corridor Study, that's also uh, making a future recommendation that this site should be used for a mixture of office and residential, something with a, a higher um, intensity of use, along with the transportation plan that also calls for um, uh, signature transit, which is a high-frequency transit service that includes improved transportation systems 
to better accommodate transit service. Uh, the plan indicates that increased land use densities will help support signature transit services. So um, staff recommends denial of this proposed rezoning from M1 to M1A and also recommends denial of the area plan as the proposed or the submitted uh, mortgage survey does not match what was previously approved for the site plan. So there's been a lot of changes on site and staff will uh, be undertaking that task of trying to bring this site back into code compliance. Thank you, Chris. We'll now open the public hearing on this project. Anyone wishing to address the Planning Commission? Please give your name and address for the record. Uh, David D. Pice, 2096 South State Street. Um, I don't support this project and its ancillary rezoning, primarily because it's not significantly improving the State Street Corridor. And we have embarked upon a State Street Corridor study that is trying to make our entrance into the city along State Street look more attractive, bring a better vitality to that area. And I don't think this project does that. I'd just like to point out that you may think not much has happened along State Street over the last 15 years, but if you live there like I have, you have seen quite a few improvements. Many property owners have improved their, their sites in quite a few ways. I'll just mention a few. The uh, expanding product line at the produce station, in my opinion, has really enhanced their, both their exterior and their interior look and add a certain vibrancy that grabs and holds your attention. At 2058 South State Street, they've added an addition and completely remodeled their, the old building there that has significantly improved that look from the old Cummins and Barnard building. The new buildings adjacent to uh, our property where Keller Williams uh, resides as well as other small businesses, I feel are very attractive and reflect a thoughtful quality construction. The old Townsend and Bowden building has received a lot of upgrades and has improved what used to be a very dour appearance. Howard Cooper's addition and remodeling has improved what used to be a very dated facility. New office buildings on Oakbrook and on the 777 site of ProQuest have really added a lot of jobs and a vitality to that whole State Street area. The building where the FedEx office site is, uh, their detention pond, they created it and it looks to me it's one of the better water features in the city. So as I talk about these improvements and I look at what's being proposed here, I'm not seeing enough significant improvement that I think the city needs to see for this type of development and along the State Street corridor. So I hope that, you know, as you look at this, you will recognize that it's just not enough. What we're getting here for what they're proposing isn't enough to uh, rezone that property and approve this proposal. And I hope you'll agree with me and deny the developer's request. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else wishing to address the commission on this project? Good evening. Uh, Scott Munzel appearing by ha on behalf of the petitioner. Um, Mr. Mahmoudi had a family situation, so he could not be here to uh, 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 speak with the Planning Commission, so he sends his regards. Um, in essence, as Mr. Cheng um, 
described the current zoning is M1, which does allow for the sales, but they have to be inside and they're limited to 10% of the floor area. In this particular situation, that would lead to 187 square feet of uh, use for sales. That would clearly not work for trying to sell autos. The M1A district does allow for outside sales and there's no particular limit on the, um, on the amount of uh, usage for the sales. Um, as Mr. Cheng noted, they, the owner would like to renovate the building and conduct auto repairs and then have um, some sales up on State Street. Um, there are a variety of uses in the area, as he described, uh, most of which are in the commercial or industrial type category. There is a little bit of residential uh, up farther to the north, but very limited. Um, and of course, you are familiar with the Howard Cooper uh, auto sales uh, service uh, facility. So obviously, um, there's already those type of uses in the area. Um, one thing that Mr. Cheng also noted is this is a fairly challenging site in that there is a significant grade drop from State Street down. And so there are some limits that that would place on potential users. So um, it may, be, may, re may require this kind of uh, unusual use. Um, I do want to make a couple comments on some of the things in the report about different permits that may be required in the future. Um, the current owners are somewhat risk averse. Uh, I think that they recognize there's going to need to be, uh, and the staff report comments, a reoccupancy permit. That is going to trigger, um, if you look at the file, that's going to require some type of stormwater detention, which is going to trigger a site plan requirement. Uh, so the owners are going to have to work through the city process and meet the various city requirements in order to redevelop the site. But the first step in their process is to know that they can attempt to do what they want to do. And so um, they're asking for the rezoning now, and they're going to then have to uh, work with the city to meet all of the other requirements. Um, regarding the rezoning, as uh, the previous speaker discussed, there has been a change in conditions in that area, uh, whereas uh, many years ago a straight industrial zoning may have been appropriate. Now there's more activity, there's more uh, opportunity for a commercial type use. So it's our belief that um, the change in conditions over the last 10 to 15 years would merit a uh, more active use on that site, particularly at the State Street um, frontage. Turning to the master plan issues, um, the, the current master plan calls in the future land use um, map calls for this site to be res uh, research or industrial. And so, of course, the rezoning would be consistent with the existing master plan. Um, of course, the master plan has many elements. One of the other goals in the master plan, of course, is to encourage economic development, uh, particularly non-residential areas, to promote a range, range of employment opportunities um, and business creation and expansion. So it would be consistent with that portion of the master plan. Um, the other thing I wanted to note quickly is the future uh, State Street Quarter study does call for this to be office or residential. And um, while I applaud the efforts that have been ongoing, I think at this point in time, there really may not be a demand for that type of use. Um, and so I think for two reasons, it's not particularly fair to evaluate the rezoning based on the study, which is ongoing, that hasn't come before you or city council. It may be tweaked 
we don't know what's going to happen with it. So I think it's better to evaluate based on the master plan in existence. But perhaps more importantly, um, this type of activity is fairly low level. It creates a fairly low land value. Um, if a demand for office or residential develops in that location, it would be very logical for the developer to switch to that type of, the, of use. As you can see, he's only putting a little bit of uh, work up on State Street. And so it, nothing would preclude uh, a switch to the type of uses that the city planning department and the folks out there are seeking. So kind of in conclusion, I guess what I would like to say is that I, I think that the master plan would allow for a better use of the site right now while still preserving a better future use when the demand actually develops. So I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else wishing to address the Planning Commission on this project? We will close the public hearing and I will read, we have two motions before us and I'll read them both. The Ann Arbor City Planning Commission hereby recommends that the Mayor and City Council approve capital investments rezoning from M1 limited industrial district to M1A limited light industrial district. The second motion, the Ann Arbor City Planning Commission hereby recommends that the mayor and city council waive the area plan as no additional floor area is proposed at this site. Can I have someone move this? Commissioner Briere, a second. Commissioner Mahler. Planning Commission discussion. <laughs> Commissioner Breer, go ahead. Although I wasn't on planning commission at the time, I recall that there have been some other requests for rezoning along State Street that were not supported because the corridor study has not been completed. Um, the first question I have is when will the completion of the corridor study occur? And the related question is would this change be supported with the corridor study complete? I'm, I'm trying to imagine, uh, as I read the petitioner's uh, proposed business at this site, it's to not to fix up the existing building, not to make any changes to the um, stormwater detention, not to fix the footings on the uh, potential building, but to s repair and sell used cars. So I'm trying to understand if that would be supported were the corridor study complete. Uh, Wendy, would you like to handle just the, the corridor study questions? And I can go so, into the So um, hopefully the corridor plan will be coming to you for distribution at the January 3rd meeting or your recommendation to council to distribute the plan. So it's underway probably the next couple of months would be the timing. Uh, do you want me to just address the question about the uses? You'd like or I can. Okay. The, um, the M1A use, the sale of automobiles, is not consistent. I think uh, Chris did a nice job summarizing in the report what the plan would likely recommend, which is that mixture of office and residential in the area. Uh, there already is a significant amount of M1A zoning in the area, as the um, petitioners represented. Um, the Howard Cooper dealership, so uh, I don't think there's a sense that there's any additional need for that use within the corridor. Thank you. Commissioner Derzinski. Uh, thank you. Uh, 
my recollection in the picture, uh, a previous one of the uh, property indicated uh, an, an vacant building, and I think the report indicates that that would be a sales office. Yes, correct. The previous, the, the, the building that is fronting along South State Street. Um, and I was going to also add on to uh, Wendy's comments that uh, Mr. Menzel is correct. They would have to come in for a, a reoccupancy permit. At that time, that is going to trigger that these buildings are brought up to code. Um, then also that we would, as far as zoning goes, we would have to bring it back into zoning compliance also. So that would, it, he is correct, that it would trigger this site would have to be brought back into the previous site plan approved, the previously approved site plan, which is, I think, I don't know, it's the staff report, but around 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. You know what, that's exactly what I was uh, getting at. I think that's been vacant for quite some time. And it was, it's been two or three different restaurants. That's correct. If I remember, and none of them have quite made it. Um, so None of them were either legal. <laughs> Well, there's too. that too. Uh, <laughs> if I got a deal for you, um, I and and I know that the back fall there is is pretty precipitous because that goes down where Ballas uh, uh, complex is for the state or the school district, um, and I think it was indicated too that in, that automobile repairs is one of the contemplated uses uh, that they would like to see as part of the back, um, and. Again, I guess it's just a lot of substantial change. And uh, without a change in the ground pattern right now, how is that possible? Is it possible? Well, it would be difficult because of, because of the great change. Right. But they would be bringing the site back up to, to zoning and to building compliance if it were approved. Just, just for clarification, auto repair is allowed in the M1, right, that right. type of industrial use. So it's really, it, it's, it, yes, so it's really getting into, it's the automobile sales mm -hmm. at this site, uh, which right. is allowed under the M1A. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Commissioner Gianola? Um, as Councilmember Briar said, we did have quite a few rezoning requests on the South Street, on the South State Corridor. Um, I'm hesitant to actually approve this because it's not consistent with our other rulings on this, um, or votes on this, I should say. It's, I think we really need to just wait a month and see after the South State Corridor Plan gets um, approved and then see if that's where the direction we wanna go in. Um, if we approve this now, it's basically in conflict or contradicting what we've had all these public meetings on. So I, I'd rather not do this right now and ask if there's any way to give, to do it temporarily, give them sales approval without actually changing the zoning at all. Is there any other way to do it? Other than, you know, you know, with the M1 as an accessory type of use, it would be limited, like it said in the staff report, the cars that they, they're fixing on site, mm -hmm. it would, indeed um, cap them at the 187 square feet approximately in that sales building. And again, that's going to start triggering then. They're going to have to bring the site into code. But so that, that's the only way, that, and that's not enough sales room. So in reality, they can't do what they want to do unless we rezone. That'd be but, correct. Yeah. I, I would leave that up to Mr. Menzel. If they, I don't know how many vehicles that they plan on selling or, or fixing it on site. Um, but yes, that would be their, their limited options. See, I, I would love to see another use for this site because it sat vacant for so long, but I just don't like the contradiction in the South Street Corridor study. I, I think it's 
it's, it's too much of a contradiction in what we've been working on for two years. So I, I just, I can't approve this at this time. Commissioner Klein. Yeah, thank you. Um, so how, how long has this parcel sat vacant? Mr. Benzel may know better than I, but it's, I can tell you the Pilar's Cafe has probably been a couple of years vacant, and the rear buildings haven't been used in a decade at least, I'm guessing. And, and how long has it been under the current ownership? Mm. I don't know how long it's been vacant, but it has been some time. They recently purchased the site. I don't know exactly how soon, but it probably within the last year, maybe less. They, they approached me, uh, you know, within the last few months. So they've, they've only become, they've only been recent owners. Mm -hmm. And um, they're aware that there would be significant investment required to be able to use it? Uh, there seems to be a little, I'm hearing a couple of things, that there's no intended changes, but yet to actually use it, there would be pretty significant changes required. Let me say that not all clients get into a deal knowing what they're getting into. Um, I am not sure in my, I didn't represent them when they purchased it, but uh, I think that had they done more work, they would have realized it was going to take more money. They are well funded and they think that it's a great spot to, you know, renovate and, and do their auto repairs. And they think it's a great spot to sell a few cars up on the top. They would only be able to put in as many as are up there with the space that's currently there. Mm -hmm. um, but they now know that they're going to have to um, go through a significant work through with the city regarding um, bringing that site up to whatever codes are required for them to do their use. I suspect that they're going to some, come back with a new site plan, not to bring it up to code or into compliance with what the old 2001 site plan was, because I'm not sure that makes sense for them. So they would probably be coming back with a new site plan that would be tailored for what they really intend to do. Mm -hmm. But th they are gonna have to do that and they know that. Okay, thank you. Take your turn, Commissioner Mahler. Well, you know, if, but for the, the corridor study, I, I probably would not have much qualms actually voting for this. Um, so I wonder if, if it's going to come to us and with some solid, you know, I mean, the corridor study that is going to come to us soon. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm wondering if, if tabling this is in order, uh, unless there's some pressure that the, uh, that the developer's under to get this approved here and now and get this done by the city council in the next six weeks or something. Um, I, I'm wondering if they would make and entertain the notion of tabling this until we get the corridor study, uh, and then we can make a, um, a more informed vote. Well, I haven't been authorized them to, to, you know, agree to that, although I did tell them that was certainly a potential. Yeah. Well, I'm um, going to throw it out to my fellow commissioners anyway, whether you like it or not. But I'm right. just kind of wondering if, you would, if, if they would entertain that, if they would be okay with that. Well, you know, like you said, what, whatever the Planning Commission does is what they're going to have to live with. But yeah. I do think I would, just to throw in a couple of cents worth, I do think that what they want to do is not inconsistent with what the, what the corridor study recommends in the long run. And, okay. you know, I'll leave it at that. Okay, I'll take, take my turn. Um, my fellow commissioners may be surprised, but I'm actually struggling with this. Um, 
First, let me ask you, Chris, the reason I'm struggling with it is because I'm imagining that um, something could be utilized on this site that isn't a very big investment. And the idea that, um, I mean, the corridor study will give us more confidence in representing what the community wants, because that will have been vetted out there in the community. It won't make stuff happen instantly, such that all of a sudden we're going to have a north-south connector that's going to suddenly increase the value of that property. So, I mean, it could take several years for all of the potential properties on that area to, um, to have the value come up. Um, what I don't want to do is to create a situation where something gets done that can't be undone. And the idea of using something that's kind of there and is just, not, is just vacant and doesn't require a lot of investment feels okay to me because it feels like it could be put, we could get a little tax revenue off of it. It could have, help a business and maybe four or five years from now, six or seven years from now, it could become something that we're imagining. Um, and I'm not sure that M1 zoning is the way to do it. I'm wondering, you know, if there's something that's a little more restrictive or a little more temporary. I think temp somebody else brought up temporary. But, um, you know, the fr I don't know all the ins and outs of all of our um, options, but the first thing that comes to my mind is contract zoning, where potentially it could be defined as something very, very specific. So it can't continue to be this broader range of things that M1A allows. Um, what's the, how does, con how does the idea of contract zoning, is it conditional? Is contract a different kind of? Yes. Okay. You can start by correcting, yeah. <laughs> but I, I know both of those are available, so I don't know. Um, well, I'm not sure because when you compare the M1A to the M1, they're essentially the same district. Mm -hmm. The difference with the M1A is it allows for the sales of the automobiles. That's it. If you look through the, the ordinance, I'm not sure um, doing a conditional zoning is going to change it because you're asking to do just the sales because it's, it's allowing everything else in the M1. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, Scott. Um, so now that you know what I would find okay, um, mm -hmm. What do you think would need to happen on State Street for that property to become of enough value that the people who want to do the car sales would move that to another location and put a more, um, probably, I mean, I'll just say the, the residential commercial office kind of um, denser development. Right. What Clearly, we all recognize that land economics are important in what happens. And obviously, as values increase, car dealerships move out farther and farther. I'm, you know, at, at, we used to have uh, multiple car dealerships on Washington out here on Parkway. And, you know, as the economy changes and, and, and land values change, that drives change in uses. Uh, you know, I've looked at that site a variety of times. Um, what, you know, I mean, my sense of what might happen is as good as anybody's, but I think personally that uh, with time, there will be a, a change in demand. It's a lovely site with some nice views. 
Um, I could see a mixed use there with, you know, the, exactly what the, store, the corridor study is talking about with some type of office use with a couple of some residential on top. The, the challenge of that site, it's a big site going down the hill. So how that plays into it is difficult to see. But obviously at the top, it's certainly, um, I can see the potential for that. But when that would develop in that location, I'm not sure. I'm sure it will be several years away, if not longer. Um, you know, it's not exactly a preferred office location, if you ask me. That's, uh, most of the uses in there are still industrial type, commercial type. There is, of course, the one office building right next door, but there is not. And then farther to the south, where you've got an office park plan, very nice, but this is just one site. And so, you know, you know and let's be honest, it's. Part of it is demand, part of it is financing. When would a bank give a loan to somebody to, to build that? Um, I think it's, it's five to seven to 10 years out. Now, not to go on, but you know, the conditional rezoning um, is an idea that uh, I've thought about um, that, might, that might, even though, as uh, Mr. Cheng mentioned, um, you know, the only difference would be sales, however, if there were conditional rezoning, there could be some kind of uh, perhaps something that would make uh, the, 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 the city more comfortable with the amount of sales or you know, what's gonna happen up there. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know that you'd ever really wanna say it's sales, but only for 10 years. I don't know whether that would be something that would be um, really palatable to the owner or I mean, you're kind of locking yourself into something that uh, who knows what the future holds. And then you may have to come back and 10 years from now and you know, never know what would happen. But I think that there could be uh, a possible conditional rezoning option. Um, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. Okay, thank you. So, um, yeah, if I ahead. may, uh, rezoning is a future land use. So the idea that it, you know, if you only want a land use for a little while, I'm not sure that that's what you should look at for rezoning. Um, there are examples in the city right now of dealerships that have expanded and stayed within the city. You just approved Fiat on Stadium. So if, uh, if we are, uh, as a part of the enforcement of the site, um, requiring the developer to put money into the site and bring it up to code, that is an investment that could potentially stay there for a while or expand. Um, so it probably you just need to weigh whether I think it sounds like you need to decide whether you want to wait for the South State Street plan to be fully um, discussed among the community so that's one possibility or um, if you feel that this use is not um, appropriate in that future uh, point is to move it forward and then let um, a subsequent development proposal come forward and make a, a proposal um, but that, you know, the temporary component probably as staff would not suggest that you consider that as a part of your reasoning. Yeah, and I, I guess my, while I'm using that as reasoning, it is, wasn't my intent to actually come up with a temporary zoning, but that we not give them enough that it was worth investing a lot mm -hmm. in. Um, let me just ask one more question. Um, Chris, if, if we give this to them, if we approve this and council approves this and they have to come in for their reoccupancy permit, what kinds of things do they need to do? Give me some idea of the, you know, are they doing stormwater management? Are they re 
are they reconfiguring all their parking? What are they? Well, once they submit for the reoccupancy permit, per zoning, I would ensure that it's going to meet the previous approved site plan. So it's going to vary from uh, stormwater detention, landscaping, you know, various aspects that they're going to have to bring it back into now, conformance. If it's, a, if it's a new site plan, then it has to come up to current requirements. That's correct, okay. yes. Now, then it would head on to the building department. They're going to do their reviews. Now, this is where I'm not sure maybe Mr. Bunzel knows the condition of those buildings. Just visibly, they look like they're going to need to be, have some serious upgrades to bring them into code compliance. But that's just an opinion that would have to go on to the building department for their review and approval. So those would be the steps before they could open up their business. Yeah, and my recollection is that's a pretty subjective part of the building code. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not even sure someone could give you a straight answer on that. Um. If I could just jump in. I mean, I've seen the buildings on the inside. They're structurally good, but they're going to require... Um, There's also change in use requirements that trigger upgrading buildings so, so they're gonna you know they're gonna have to improve the appearance uh, you know yeah. the whole nine yards yeah so I have to evaluate if that's a big enough investment that you're gonna hang on to this for 20 years or seven <laughs> Commissioner Klein yeah thank you one uh, question for staff uh, Chris can you help me uh, with um, on the, the second motion the relief from the area plan requirements what what are the uh, what is that granting the, the petitioner or what, or what are we giving away with that right the, the area plan it, it's something that the petitioner can request and they have requested it in this case because they weren't going to be making any additional floor area to the site as is but as we were doing the reviews and going through um, you know the staff reviews it did appear that what's what's out on site does not or, and the previous site plan does not match up with what's on the, the mortgage survey so it's a little different um, from what you see on the survey, that parking area is, is, is definitely different than what we saw on aerial photographs and from our site visits. So that's why we've recommended denial of the area plan because... Right, that's a condition. You, all rezonings must have either an area plan or a site plan associated with them other than your, the annexation types of uh, zoning. So um, you can waive that requirement for an area plan if there's no new construction and a survey is provided. So they've done both, but the survey is not accurate. So in that case, I mean, it would seem like we would at least need to say we need to have an accurate survey before we can consider that. I mean, if, Right. If you choose to move forward, that's one option that you can take is uh, to delay it and ask them to provide a, an accurate survey. I would be inclined to at least make sure that we're getting, the, getting that accurate information before granting this. I might be amenable to tabling it as well. Anyone else? More discussion? Commissioner Mahler? Uh, unless anybody else has anything, I'd like to make a motion to table this project for our vote until we uh, get it completed and we have a chance to review the corridor study and subject to the uh, considerations that Commissioner Klein just raised. Um, I propose that we table this. And just for to clarify, Wendy, when we see that, are you thinking when we see the corridor plan or when we vote on the corridor plan? Because it's going to go out for public comment. Right. It, it would be for you for a vote sometime in the spring. Well, I, I would 
at least like to see the recommendations of the corridor study before we vote on this. So I. So you're saying it could come back before we vote on it, as long as we have the recommendations in front of us, so we can see them. Well, if if we're going to vote on it in the spring, I assume that means March or April. Um, Includes May and some of June. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with March or April. So I, mean. I mean, council has to vote to distribute it, which is likely early February. Then there's 42 days after that, and then then you can get your. Um, so it'll be your back review. mid March. Yeah, March, mid to late March, early April. Yeah. yeah. So maybe in April we could vote. Well, I mean, I. Ideally, I would like to have a have us vote on something so we can say it's not going to be changed to the developer when they come back. Um, so, I, well, I'm I'm fine with that. So I, I would I would propose that we table this until we have a corridor study that we have voted on. Commissioner Breer, I'm willing to second that, but I am trying to understand parliamentarily what the difference at Planning Commission is between tabling and postponing? We actually don't table, we postpone. Thank you. <laughs> tabling is short for postponing. Officially, we postpone. Any discussion on postponement? Um, and should we clarify for the petitioner what we're looking for? One is we would like to see the um, corridor study and we would like to be in a position where we've seen a final version that we voted on. Um, and this idea of having a accurate site plan um, drawing. Um, and I think we're thinking about existing conditions, right? Yes. Um, that we would need that also. Or potentially you would be okay if they came in with a revised site plan to clean up the site plan from that before. could be done in yep that could be done so, also okay. that could be a substitute shall I say for a accurate survey of the existing conditions any more discussion on postponement Need a second. we got a second from okay. Sabra okay let's take a vote on postponing all those in favor raise your right hand and say yes yes, yes. yes. that is everyone so we hope to see this back in April. We would like to see it again. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, item 9-5. Fiscal year, oops, I, excuse me, I skipped one, sorry. We're on 9-4. I was, quickly realized we wouldn't have this many people in the room if we were on item 9-5. Um, item 9-4, 544 Detroit Street, planned project site plan for city council approval. A proposal to demolish the existing structure on this 0.1 acre site and construct a 4,077 square foot, three-story mixed-use building with three covered parking spaces on the ground floor. The first floor will be office use. The second and third floors will be residential use. Planned project modifications are requested to exceed the 35-foot height limit by 3 feet 6 inches to reduce the front setback requirement along Detroit and Division Streets from 10 feet to 5 feet, and to reduce the rear setback from 30 <coughs> feet to 7.5 feet 
A landscape modification is requested to reduce the conflicting land use buffer along the rear property line. And we will begin with a staff report. Thank you. So this site is a triangular parcel. It's located at the intersection of Detroit Street and North Division Street. So this side is Detroit. This side is North Division. And immediately ahead of this parcel is the Broadway Bridge. It's in the Old Fourth Ward Historic District, the Central Planning Area, and the Huron River Watershed. This map shows zoning. The, the parcel is currently zoned C1, commercial. Uh, surrounding zoning includes a PUD. There's a mansion whose name escapes me right now that is an office use PUD across the street. And across Detroit Street is the building that was most recently occupied by Bay Design. Um, it's now vacant and being converted to uh, office space, at least part of it, from what I've heard. Uh, all of the rest of the surrounding zoning is R4C uh, on all of these sides. Here's an aerial view uh, from 2012 of the site. You can see that it has two addresses. We're using 544 Detroit. Existing on the parcel is a former gas station building that is 560 square feet. The lot is 4,250 square feet total. It currently has one wide curb cut here on Detroit Street. Uh, abutting to the south, uh, this is a single building. It's a duplex with two addresses. Each unit faces a different street and looks uh, like an individual house, but they are connected in the middle. Here's the broader view of the site. You see that office PUD here, Bay Design is here. Uh, this is the Treasure Mart, which is a non-conforming use in the R4C district. Uh, going, heading down Detroit Street, this is the intersection of East Kingsley and Zingerman's is on the, the corner just out of sight there. Here are a couple of site photos. The property line, um, the property is almost triangular. The end of the triangle is cut off. And this is a little bit of um, city-owned right-of-way here. Parcel ends right about where this former sign base is located in the photo. Um, you can't see it, but there are a bunch of kids smoking cigarettes back here. They wanted to be in the picture. I asked them if they wanted to leave, and they said no. <laughs> you can see the curb cut here on Detroit Street. Here's a little bit closer-up shot of the former Clark Station. Before that, it was Log Cabin Gas. And here's the duplex that's behind it. You can see a little bit here of a four-foot retaining wall that exists along most of the rear property line. Here's a better view of it along Detroit Street. And here's what it looks like from the immediate neighbor's perspective. There's that office, PUD, across the street. And here's what it looked like in 1975. Um, so here's the layout plan. There, um, I'm going to use this one for just a moment and then flip to the landscaping plan because it's a little bit easier to see, I think, on the overhead. Uh, Here's Detroit Street, curb cut. This is the drive area, vehicular use. It's not a vehicular use area because it's under 1,200 square feet. There's one outdoor parking space here for a small car. 
There are four spaces that are underneath, at ground level, underneath the second and third floors of the building. So you drive under the building to get to those four spaces. This piece right here, actually this piece right here, is an office suite. It's pretty small. Um, let's see, 857 square feet of office. And let me jump to this because it's a little bit easier to see. Um, so here are the four covered parking spaces. This is the one uncovered space. There are four bicycle spaces proposed. This is a class C that's outdoors, sort of the guest space. There are two class A spaces on the interior of the building. This is a roll-up door, so it doesn't have to open out into any cars. There's a class B covered space here. This is an access aisle for, um, for handicap accessible parking. Dumpsters are kept here. Um, the existing wall that I showed you goes around, it goes around the back of the site here. Uh, the applicant is proposing to extend it. It stops right here currently. He would extend it all the way to Division Street and then around the corner. Um, part of it would be as a retaining wall. Part of it would be, uh, it, it's, it's a little bit below ground. It, it, the, the, the topography varies here. Um, but it would block this parking area and the, um, the, the trash containers and recycling bins um, and just give a little more privacy to this parking area and also shield it from the street from passersby. The conflicting land use buffer is required on the rear of the property line because the neighboring property is zoned residential, not commercial. Uh, a landscape modification has been requested to reduce that buffer from 15 feet down to an average of um, about six feet deep. There is a row of arborvitaes uh, pretty densely packed along the back wall here. There will be that four foot wall and then the arborvitaes. Those grow to be about 25 feet high. This site's about four feet lower than the neighbor's property. Um, so, you know, at maturity, they will be 20-ish foot uh, trees there. Right now, there's a bunch of scrub trees that are growing into the retaining wall that the, um, the applicants are proposing to take out in order to fix the wall and make sure it um, doesn't get uh, any more damaged. The, uh, the two fronts are requested uh, as part of the planned project to be reduced from 10 feet to five feet. Um, those are also heavily landscaped. Uh, the, rear, the rear setback is 19 feet from uh, this corner to uh, where the building starts, the overhang. Um, and the required rear setback, given the height of the building, would be 39 feet. The, the plan project is being requested for both the front setbacks and uh, the rear setbacks to be reduced because of the strange shape of the parcel. Um, I saw a document from the 90s earlier today about this site where they had drawn out what you, what the building envelope would look like if you met all of the setback requirements and it was about 90 square feet. <laughs> so uh, there is a, you know, the, this is, this sort of a parcel that's difficult to build on is one of the reasons that, um, that uh, things like plan projects and um, landscape modifications um, uh, are around. It seems like an appropriate use for them in staff's opinion. The site contains less than 5,000 square feet of impervious surface, so no stormwater detention is required. 
Uh, there are no landmark trees or other natural features on the site. There really aren't any natural features on the site at all. This is, uh, this is the third floor that I threw up here just so you could see what uh, one of the condominium units would look like. The second and third floor are condos, two bedrooms, uh, balcony on the, the point of the building, mm -hmm. um, staircase and elevators go up the middle. The third floor unit would have a spiral staircase to access a roof deck. And part of the planned project modification is to accommodate the stair tower for that roof deck access and also um, to allow a slightly higher parapet wall, just this bit on the front here. Uh, the par this parapet meets the height requirement, but this part is a little bit above. Uh, it is just a decorative element of the building. Um, and this part of the uh, stair enclosure is three and a half feet uh, over the height limit. So this is the Detroit Street elevation. You can see the, there would be the three balconies here for the three different units. Um, the Historic District Commission did approve this plan at their October meeting um, with no, um, no changes. Um, it went over fairly universally well with the commission. Uh, this is the North Division or East elevation, also pretty similar. These are some renderings that um, I asked the architect if I could use. They were submitted for the Historic District Commission uh, meeting, but they have not changed and they represent the building pretty well. It's a lot easier to see what things look like in 3D and color sometimes. Uh, brick cladding on the outside. Uh, these would be uh, some sort of iron balconies. Um, it was designed to fit with the character of some of the industrial and masonry buildings in the neighborhood. Um, while retaining uh, two-thirds residential use. Here's the back. You can see where the parking area is, where the four spaces are underneath the building. And it's, uh, this was an early rendering, so it doesn't really show where the, the fifth parking space would go over there. But. And this is the back, showing the fenestration pattern. Now, let me see what I've missed. Uh, the master plan land use element recommends multiple family residential uses for 544 Detroit. Uh, I would like to add that though office use is proposed for the ground floor, it would meet the parking requirements for commercial, uh, for retail as well. Um, three spaces are required for office of this size and three spaces would be required for retail of this size. The plan project standards and landscape modification standards and rationale are included in the staff report. Um, staff comments from other units include uh, systems planning notes that one footing drain disconnect is required if the little gas station building that's there now has a footing drain that needs to be disconnected that will qualify as their one footing drain. And since Detroit Street is a brick street, special restoration will be required um, when the new curb cut is constructed and if any utility cuts are made into the brick street. So that has been included as um, a condition of approval. Uh, so staff recommends approval of the project site, the planned project site plan. 
because it complies with applicable local, state, and federal laws, ordinance standards, and regulations, limits the disturbance of natural features, of which there are none, <laughs> uh, and does not cause a public or private nuisance, does not have a detrimental effect on the public health, safety, or welfare, and staff also recommends approval of the conflicting land use buffer modification uh, because the proposed wall and landscaping in the buffer meet the spirit and intent of the conflicting land use buffer requirements. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. Now, would anyone like to address the Planning Commission on this project? I'll count to three. <laughs> Good evening, my name is Chris Crockett and I'm president of the Old Fourth Ward Association. And uh, I spoke before the Historic District Commission which approved this unanimously uh, at, at uh, their previous meeting. And if anyone has ever looked at this property, it has distinguished itself for its blight. Uh, it's a significant and small piece of property and a gateway to Ann Arbor's oldest, uh, oldest residential neighborhood. Uh, the building that has been designed has been beautifully designed for this site and will serve as a magnificent gateway to the historic district. Uh, it has elements that resonate of the architecture in the neighborhood and it also has many artistic elements that are not required, but the developers have chosen to add them. Uh, I think on some level they really agree with me that architecture, good architecture, is the best public art. And this certainly will be wonderful public art. Uh, because the property is zone C1, uh, and because by the zoning laws, there, uh, there's not a lot of developable land. Uh, they're asking for a planned project, project, which in scale and massing and the overall design of the project fits perfectly within the neighborhood. The last building uh, before the Clark Station on this property in the 19th century was a barn. So we're not going to see a barn restored on this property. It was never uh, a house or any other kind of building other than that before that time. We're really happy with the design. We had a neighborhood meeting where many people in the neighborhood did come and take a look at this design and are just delighted that in coming over the Broadway Bridge, there's a possibility that soon we can see a beautiful structure that will provide uh, both residential and either commercial or office space. And I'd like to just say a word about the, the height, which exceeds a little bit the, uh, the requirement for the zoning. And I wanna point out that this particular land sits lower uh, there on Detroit Street than the adjacent structure, which is elevated and there's also a retaining wall that separates uh, this proposed structure from the condominium or the two, lot, two houses, the attached houses that are to the south of it. So I really hope that you approve this. I urge you to approve this. Uh, 
we like this project very much in the Old Fourth Ward, and we're looking forward to seeing it built. Thank you. Anyone else who'd like to address the commission on this project? Give us your name and address for the record. Dan Williams with Maven Development. I'm going to let um, Mark explain more details of the site um, as well as the building. Just want to note a few things. As Jill mentioned earlier, um, obviously the site's unique primarily by the shape of, of it and really constricts setbacks, essentially has two fronts and a, I guess you'd call it a side or a rear. Um, we did have two neighborhood meetings, and as Christine mentioned, uh, I think the, the consensus on those meetings that there was a lot of support for the scale and the character of the project. Um, I'm going to let Mark talk more specifics of, of that as far as the, um, the scale as well as the design of the <coughs> exterior of the building. <coughs> have you stand there? Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Jill, I think, did a good job explaining the project. And uh, <clears throat> I must say that I think Dan had a tremendous vision for taking on this piece of property uh, because it, it has a unique possibility, a potential here for creating a very interesting building in Ann Arbor. We have such few sites in Ann Arbor in which diagonal streets create unique building sites. And so many times these are um, <clears throat> not thought of when laying out buildings. Um, and here we have a unique opportunity to create a, a traditional flat iron building. We don't have too many in Ann Arbor. We have a few. Mr. Van Curler created a couple uh, apartment buildings. We have a very unique example at across from um, <clears throat> Sweetwater's Cafe, uh, a flat iron building, a two-story flat iron building. And this building is very similar in uh, size and scale to that building, but it's another story higher. So one of the things that we immediately looked at was how can we accommodate a usable building on this site. And our thought was to, to push the building far to the, as we could to the point. This creates a very narrow uh, nose, if you will. And in that nose, I thought it would be a perfect place for balconies for residential. And the <clears throat> location across the front of the residential living room is about 12 feet. So that's about as narrow as we could go for the living unit. So when we push that far enough ahead, we wanted to maintain at least some um, landscaping on the sides to give it a soft edge. And so that left uh, not as much space in the back as uh, <clears throat> we would like for a parking, but by take, we could have had more office space, but we wanted to push the cars underneath the building. This would reduce the vehicular use area. In fact, it is not a vehicular use area. So the only paving you actually see is the turnaround area. So we're, um, we're going to uh, screen that and buffer that, and uh, our um, landscape designer here will be talking a little bit about the uh, plant materials used. Uh, you've seen this sketch here. Um, <clears throat> uh, this drawing was done by the Strike District Commission to show the, the, the context and scale of the building. Um, and as you can see, this is a, a kind of a uh, rendered view from an aerial perspective. The building is uh, fairly consistent with the size of the buildings all around it. 
And you can see there's a elevation view here. Uh, that the site elevation is somewhat consistent with the sizes of the buildings uh, around it also. I want to let Serge talk a little bit about the landscaping in the back here as our uh, <coughs> landscape designer and why we use certain plant materials. In so here is Detroit Street, here is Division Street, um, the access to the parking lot. Um, these are the, the street trees that are recommended. They are um, American elm trees, the Princeton variety, which is disease resistant. Uh, Two-inch caliper is what we have specced out, two and a half actually. Um, then underneath we would have lawn in the parkway, and then around the building we have all plant beds, so there is no lawn um, around the foundation of the building. Um, we have airwood viburnums that are lined up with the, the brick on the facade. I have some perspectives that I'll show you as well. And we have broadmoor junipers, which are low-growing evergreen shrubs along the foundation. Um, in front of that, we have uh, liriope, which is a lily turf ground cover, uh, low growing. And then in the corner here, we have uh, Walker's Low um, Catmint, which is a, a long uh, blue flowering uh, perennial, basically from June to August. Um, along the proposed um, foundation wall here, uh, we have uh, Judd Viburnum, a hedge there. Um, inside the parking lot, we have two single-stem Amelanchier and a row of uh, Nigra arborvitae. Um, this just shows the uh, perspective along Detroit Street. So these would be this, the street elm trees, the parkway trees. These would be the airwood viburnums along the brick facade, and then the, um, the foundation juniper plantings with Loriope and Nepeta. Um, again, further down on Detroit Street, uh, showing a little more the access to the parking lot. And there you can see on the far right the Amelanchier deciduous single stems, as well as the Arborvitae that would screen between the uh, neighboring property. So <clears throat> we'll be around to answer any questions later if you like. So thank you very much. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to address the Planning Commission on this project? Hi, I'm Ed Mahoney. I own the property of 524 North Division Street. So it's just um, like two um, buildings up from where it's proposed. And um, though I like to see that blight area cleaned up, I would not like to see a three-story building there. I, that would totally block my view from the, the porch of my house. And um, I asked those, most of those houses there are less than uh, 2,000 square feet in that area. And the ones that are more than that are well set back from the street. And so I ask that um, you not allow the variances um, or the house be, a size be reduced. 
Okay, thank you. Great, thank you. Anyone else? We will close the public hearing. We have two motions in front of us that I'll read. The first one, the Ann Arbor City Planning Commission hereby recommends that the mayor and city council approve the 544 Detroit planned project site plan subject to providing a road restoration plan for the brick replacement in Detroit Street for approval by the systems planning unit prior to the issuance of right-of-way permits. The second motion, the Ann Arbor City Planning Commission hereby recommends that the mayor and city council approve the proposed modifications to the conflicting land use buffer requirements of chapter 62 landscape and screening ordinance because the standards contained in section 5 colon 608 modifications have been met. Can I have someone move those? Commissioner Briere, seconded by Commissioner Mahler. Who would like to go first? Commissioner Briere? I actually have a, a number of small questions. Because we're asking for um, modifications in the conflicting land use buffer, does this need to go to the ZBA? No, it does not. Okay. It's part of the, um, the Planning Commission can approve, uh, I'm sorry, the Planning Commission can recommend approval to Council of modification of that uh, landscape buffer. Thank you. My second question actually deals with refuse collection. Could we see on the screen um, the image that deals with refuse collection? What I see when I look at this is that a refuse truck will drive into the site and collect the, the refuse from the dumpsters. Is that correct? Uh, no, those are four 96-gallon rolling carts, just like the kind that we roll out to the curb in front of our house, just larger format. Um, the applicants have worked with the solid waste coordinator to make sure that they have adequate capacity to meet the three units in this building. And so those will be rolled to the curb on division? On Detroit. On Detroit. Yeah. Thank you. I was concerned about a truck stopping on division. I see. Uh, my third is a request to staff that when we see these, we actually see a good rendering of the project in context. Um, one of the written responses we've received uh, tonight deals with the closeness of this building to the adjacent property at 537 Detroit. Mm -hmm. We heard tonight from a property resident at uh, 524, I believe. And I'm, I really want to be able to look not at an isolated image, but at an image in context and uh, just to look at the effect on the uh, of infill on the surrounding properties. Mm -hmm. And my final is a compliment to the landscape designer because using cat mint on that corner coordinates very well with the planting beds at the Broadway Bridge, <laughs> which use cat mint. Commissioner Gianola. I have uh, one question for staff. Um, what did the Historic District Commission have to say about this? Were there any concerns at all? Um, I can't remember any. It was a very short conversation. It was very glowing. Um, they were very happy, especially with the design. 
the, the use of brick and the fenestration patterns, which were very traditional, but it still looks like a building that would be built in the 2010s, you know, rather than something built back in the 20s, 1920s. Um, the vote was unanimous. Um, the only the only comment that I can think of that sort of remained unresolved was at that point there was no landscape plan. Uh, one of the commissioners was concerned about what the landscaping would look like, but that's not something uh, for a new infill project that the Historic District Commission would review closely anyway. So um, she was okay with that. So um, was there any concern with the massing or the size of the building? Uh, no, they thought that it was um, appropriate. There was discussion about that little yellow house that you see there behind it and that it will be taller. Um, but they felt that with sort of the anchor buildings um, nearby this that are also masonry, uh, that it, it, it would fit in. Um, and, and also that it would be very welcoming when you're going over the Broadway Bridge, when you're um, being introduced to the neighborhood. Thank you. Commissioner Derzinski. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> we also heard the uh, uh, comment by a citizen that lives there um, regarding the various setbacks that are, that, uh, are being proposed. Mm -hmm. Given the odd nature of the lot uh, and the fact that it's been looking like this for a long time, could this project work without granting those various uh, changes in setback line and height requirements. Could this thing work without those changes? This building would not work. Um, if, the, if the rear setback were a big concern and the 15-foot landscape buffer were enforced, um, it would push the whole parking area so far forward. You would either end up with two floors on stilts or underground parking. Um, this project, as proposed, is, is shoehorned into the site. Uh, you would lose some significant square footage if it were, um, if the setbacks were yeah, I think made closer that, to what's required. That's kind of my concern. This is a very unusual lot, and if it ever is going to be used, it takes a lot of creativity uh, in order for it to work, and, and I think they've done a very good job in, in doing that, and without which it could remain like that for a long time, and I don't want that. Commissioner Mahler? It's not going to affect my vote either way, but I'm just wondering if the neighbor to the south had any comment about the wall and the height of it. I mean, it's four feet. Any comment about six feet or higher or lower? I'm just wondering what this, why keep it at four at this point if they're going to redo the site anyway? Um, four is what's required by the conflicting land use buffer, um, but it is existing, so they're going to leave the existing and add on to it. Uh, the neighbor to the south had conversations with the applicant and said that it would be fine to take out the scrubby trees that are located on top of the wall right now and was amenable to that. Um, and uh, when I spoke to the developer, no concerns had been expressed. Uh, it is a rental property that was recently sold to a local rental property owner. Thank you. Commissioner Klein. Yeah, thank you. I have uh, one question for either the architect or the applicant. Well, it might be a two-part question. Uh, first of all, did I hear correctly that these are the residential units are going to be condominiums for sale units? Is that right? Is there uh, owner-occupied, or will they both be for sale? Both for sale. Okay. Can you share with us what price range they'll be? Um, we're still looking at the market. Um, you know, the 
1680 square feet. So, um, you know, as the market unfolds into the spring, we get through these approvals, getting the project approved. Uh, type of finishes will kind of dictate, and what the market's doing, dictate the price of those. But what I'm trying to get at a little bit is, do you see your market being uh, uh, students? No. Okay. No, market more than likely empty nesters, I would think. Okay. All right, so that's that's kind of where I was headed yeah, with that. Yeah. Um, from my from my take, I think uh, the the architects done a very nice job uh, fitting it onto a, a difficult site, and uh, it's a handsome design, and sensitive, and feels like it fits into the to the historic neighborhood. I certainly understand the uh, nearby residents feeling that um, they're going to lose some of their their view shed and um, uh, views out there because, well, frankly, they will, um, but. I've looked at the site in the past, and uh, when you looked at when you look at the setbacks, you're not left with anything that's buildable on this site. So, without our um, our acting on this, the, the site I don't think is really buildable. It, uh, the only hope is that someday the city is going to find money and buy it and turn it into a park. But uh, uh, that would be uh, <laughs> Sabres chuckling. <laughs> yeah, we'll all be long gone before that happens. Um, so I, you know, I think it's a, it's a very good use for the site. It's a it's a more urban use than uh, maybe some of the other buildings, but I th do think it it's done um, and it appears like it will be done in a way that's uh, uh, very uh, good quality and will enhance the neighborhood and enhance property values in the neighborhood, which uh, is some recompense for losing some of your view. I think in some respects. So, thank you. I think everyone's gone. Um, I'll throw a few just comments in here. Um, when I look at the planned project standards, um, the uh, modifications must provide one or more of the following. I think the parking um, is a particularly um, strong benefit. I think having it under the building and yet still open um, is far more appealing than having it enclosed um, or out in the open, either one of those. Um, also, the um, number E, the solar orientation and energy conserving design. I hope that all comes about. Um, we're often disappointed, so uh, we hope that hope that works. But it's also energy conservation conserving purely in its um, density, shall I say? Um, so that's that's very positive. Um, and then finally, I have one more. Um, relative to the massing, um, and I was also um, wanted to respond to the to the neighbor, um, the fact that this is no taller than what's allowed of any house in the neighborhood, even though some of the existing ones are shorter, um, even if it did fit on a 90 square foot footprint, it could still be 30, um, 30 some feet high. And the fact that the little piece that's over is very small and um, less than the, um, the height of that retaining wall, I think brings, brings it all down nicely. So um, I think that's positive. And as a kind of bookend building in a neighborhood, actually providing some um, buffering to the neighborhood against a, a primary street. And there are other, I think it was mentioned in the report, there are other buildings in the neighborhood that are very similar to this. So um, it seems like an ideal site for a building like this. 
So um, I don't have any problem with the, the planned project. And I think the, um, what's being offered for the landscaping on the, on the rear seems like um, it's meeting the intent. So with the arborvitae in the wall. So um, I'm okay with this one. Any, any other comments from commissioners? Are you ready to vote? All those in favor, raise your right hand and say yes. 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 yes, that is unanimous. You may go to council with a recommendation from us for approval. Thank you. Okay, now we're on 9-5. Fiscal year 2014 to 2019 capital improvements plan, also known as the CIP. The CIP contains a program of major capital improvements to be undertaken by the city in the next six years. Upon adoption by the City Planning Commission, the CIP becomes a supporting document for the city's capital budget planning. We'll start with a staff report. Wendy? Um, Actually, uh, Deb Goslin is here from Systems yeah. Planning. I would ask uh, if you would like a staff report that Deb would be the appropriate person to provide that. Yes. Thank you, Deb. Welcome. Alrighty, I would like to have pretended that all these folks were here to hear, hear about the capital improvement plan. You know, you can have these fantasies that it brings people in in mass. So. <laughs> um, I'm going to be very brief uh, since all of you uh, were at the work session last week, but since this is a public hearing, I'll just very briefly uh, go over again what's in the plan and how it came to be. Uh, so basically, by state statute, uh, there must be a capital improvement plan for every community in the state. And the goal is to guide where money is spent on your major pieces of your infrastructure system, your city buildings, your parks, and so on. And to get to the point where you get a plan like you folks have before you tonight, um, there's over 50 staff members who get involved, um, starting with proposing projects, then going through and prioritizing them using a number of criteria, and then finally slotting what year the particular project will fit in within the six-year cycle. Uh, because we're presently uh, seeking your approval for fiscal year 2014 to 2019 capital improvement plan. And then with your approval, it would become the basis for the budget um, when it goes before council as uh, the guidance for the budget related to capital investments. Um, there are approximately 377 projects that are in the plan, and they range everything from a lot of the streets getting resurfaced under the annual resurfacing program, uh, work in neighborhood parks, uh, pretty much anything that you can see on the surface. Uh, that the city owns, work in city buildings, uh, but also the things you can't see. Uh, water mains, storm sewers, sanitary sewers, studies involving the utilities, uh, studies involving all transportation, uh, pathway projects. So it's really a broad spectrum program uh, for capital improvements in the 13 major asset groups of the city. And that really is it in a nutshell. I believe in being brief and just answering questions and asking for your approval for the plan. Thank you, Deborah. Um, we'll begin with you, Commissioner Briere. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I just was thinking we were the only you ones just left. Want to go up to <laughs> the public, it, public let hearing, let me make right? It official, and then I'll read the the motion. Um, so we'll open the public hearing. If anyone would like to address the Planning Commission on the revised new CIP. Sorry, Deborah. <laughs> we will close the public hearing, and I will read the motion. Whereas section 1 185 of the Ann Arbor City Code requires that, that the City Planning Commission annually prepare a capital improvements program identifying public improvements that will, will be needed within the ensuing six years in the general order of priority. Whereas the fiscal year 2014 to 2019 capital improvements plan has been drafted by the city asset category teams and reviewed by the city Com planning commission's capital improvements plan committee. And whereas a duly noticed public hearing on the draft plan was held by the city planning commission on December 18th, 2012, resolved that the city planning commission hereby approves the fiscal year 2014 to 2019 capital improvements plan as a supporting document for the city's master plan and resolved that the city planning commission recommends that city council approve the fiscal year 2014 to 2019 capital improvements plan as the basis for the fiscal year 2014 2015 capital budget Someone move that. Commissioner Derzinski, seconded by Commissioner Briere. Now we can have discussion. Commissioner Briere. Deb? I, I actually have a couple of what I hope are reasonable questions. The first is, um, is there an easy way to show in this plan any change in priority from previous year's plans? In this particular plan, no, but it would be possible to create a report like that. It's an access database that drives this, and it would probably be a pretty elaborate query, but it would probably be possible to show last year's rank, if of course it wasn't a new project, and then this year's rank. There certainly is some movement. Um, the new ones sometimes knock old ones down, old ones move up because they gain points by fitting with another project. So it should be possible. I've never tried to do that, but I believe it could be done. Mm, I think it would be valuable to members of council to okay. have that kind of information. It certainly would have been valuable to me in the past. Okay. My second question may be a little bit more complex. Some of the new projects, um, I'm looking specifically at three fire station remodeling programs. Um, they may reflect a staff priority that could change in the course of the next two months. Correct. Um, if priorities change, what happens with an approved capital improvement plan that has an immediate effect on the budget. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of if priorities change um, after this has been approved by council or before this is approved by council, how does that affect 
staff planning for budgetary purposes? I think that we were aware that there were ongoing discussions and we talked about, you know, do we just not put it in, which didn't seem appropriate. Um, so I believe there's always that flexibility for a motion at council if something has happened in the way of the fire station decisions in the interim to simply say, you know, we accept it as basic for the budget with the exception that now, you know, fire station number two renovations is going to be of different character or not happening or whatever. So I think um, that that would not be inconsistent with a planning commission motion, but would simply reflect council actions that could have budgetary implications before that body would vote. So it can be tweaked for the reality of other decisions that get made. So in effect, if the council were to discuss and amend this capital improvement plan, uh, that doesn't throw a spanner in the works for staff. Yeah, and they would technically not be amending the plan. They would simply, in accepting it as the basis for the budget, amend it. Like in the past, I think you had pointed out where a, uh, a council member said, except I don't want this particular project yes. to be in it. I'm not willing to fund that. So for budget purposes, we're not going to fund that as shown. So it could be tweaked if things happen in between. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Wendy, would you like to say anything about that? It just um, from a staff viewpoint, because um, a project cannot continue on unless it is in the capital improvements plan, I think the sense was on some of these projects where we didn't know where a council's policy was going to end up, that we were going to put them in, knowing yes. that if council determines that, for instance, a fire station remodel and you're not moving forward with that proposal, they would stay in the plan, but you wouldn't fund them. I think Deb just said that, but it's just a little, so it's better to have it in because if all, if you decided that you were going to do that and it wasn't in the plan, technically that couldn't be funded uh, based on previous resolutions from council. Probably the key word there is it says basis for the capital budget, not a direct reflection of. Yeah. Okay. Um, Commissioner Derazinski. Thank you. <coughs> Over the past couple of years, uh, <coughs> capital improvement plan uh, did get warped a bit from time to time on the availability of federal funding for various projects. Yes. Um, and I, I guess the uh, the main thing were the stadium bridges, um, right? And and that broke nicely, put a, to put it mildly. Do you anticipate any major changes coming up in federal funding, uh, or any source that might uh, come open to us that might have an effect in uh, being able to adjust this plan slightly down the path? I don't know of anything significant that would affect the short-term window within the six-year. Right. Definitely, um, staff are working on seeking funds, CMAC funds, TAP funds, and especially in the street or transportation-related areas that we certainly hope. <laughs> it will move from millage-funded to federally funded with a little uh, kick from the millage fund, things like that. But for the short term, um, there are not any things in here that we haven't already indicated as outside funding at least that anyone has indicated to me anything, you know, close to uh, being the work, certainly not by budget time. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Commissioner Klein? Just a quick question for you, for you Deb. Um, in, in, 
it's been a great learning experience for me being new here, going through this and uh, being on the uh, subcommittee. There's a question I did forget to ask you, and I, I suspect others in the public, if they're reviewing this, might have. Um, beyond, it lists the six years from 2014 to 2020, and then the column to the left of that says prior years, and there's often amounts in there. Is prior years, is that, is there a defined period of what those years are, or is it just at any period of time? Yeah, in theory, it could be prior, but the only reason they still stay on the list is because they're not going to be completed before we kick into fiscal 14. So they may have already been funded, but for instance, you can envision a street project that'll get bid this spring, mm -hmm. but it won't get finished till the end of construction season. So we don't list prior year projects that are done, but there's a fair number of them that are in the works, sometimes one year, sometimes two years. So that's the criteria for staying on with prior year funding. Okay, so it's not any particular year like 2012 or 13, it's based on the project that has been started. Exactly, I would say the majority of them are 12 or 13 projects, but there are a couple in here like you get into facilities renovation where they've been designing it for four or five years leading up to this right. point. Right, okay. And then can I ask you about one particular one just because I don't know what sure. it means? It's <laughs> it's on page seven, it's the third from the top, Ann Arbor Station NEPA slash PE. What is uh, NEPA slash PE? <laughs> I'm like, okay, the PE is the preliminary engineering, so oh, okay. uh, it's the environmental piece and the preliminary oh. engineering, so. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but that's good, but I can't remember ever, what is the N in the environmental, you know? <laughs> oh, so, EPA, yeah. okay, all right, thank you. You're welcome. Commissioner Mahler. Thank you. Um, actually, believe it or not, this is one of my favorite parts about being a planning commissioner is going through this yeah. and seeing what our priorities are and having some impact on that. But um, I think you answered most of our collective questions and my questions at the work session. One thing I, I wanted to follow up on that I forgot to ask at the work session was about the drop-off station. And that being a number one priority in solid waste and then quite a bit of money kind of funneled towards that that we have projected. Yes. So I was wondering what that nearly five million is going for in terms of, I assume that's improvements, not maintenance. And, and I'm just wondering how, what the plans are for that, for the, for the drop-off station, if, and if you I have a sense of that. Thank you. It's, um, as I understand, I wish I knew the super details on every one of these, but it is a little bit ways off in the future. I understand it's supposed to be uh, a new drop-off station, but there's township and county level involvement. So this 4.9 is not by any means all gonna be coming from the city. Um, but part of the reason we pushed it off to 17 is I guess there's a number of agreements that would have to be developed with the non-city entities uh, in terms of funding and so on for this to go. In terms of a lot of details, uh, I apologize that I didn't uh, think to have, so they could click to a particular project tonight, but uh, it's really supposed to expand the capabilities for drop-off uh, for solid waste and maybe Councilwoman Commissioner Rare can help. The drop-off station, um, the existing drop-off station is built on landfill. The landfill is not stable enough to hold the building, and so it's slowly sinking. Um, in the works for several years has been a plan to build a new drop-off station uh, around the corner, as it were. Uh, the city already owns the land. The basic 
structure has already been established, that is, driveways, things like that. Um, but there, because I serve on the Environmental Commission and I've spent the last year working on the solid waste plan, I'm going to sound nerd-like now. <laughs> um, the, the expectation is that most of the people who will use the drop-off station do not live in the city of Ann Arbor. Um, it's heavily used, but not only by Ann Arbor residents. In order to increase the use and to uh, enlarge the number of participants in the drop-off station, uh, the solid waste staff are trying to work with county solid waste staff and township solid waste staff from Sio Township, Pittsfield Township, and Ann Arbor Township to combine forces and have one drop-off station for everyone. Uh, to do that requires a lot of intergovernmental cooperation uh, and a lot of agreement because not everyone, you know, for some township residents, it's sufficient to have a um, once or twice a year Everybody goes to one spot and, and collects things, and for other <coughs> residents that are more urbanized, they really want to have a drop-off station that's routinely available to them. Um, but to build this new drop-off station does cost about $5 million, and the city does not want to spend that money out of its solid waste fund for a significant benefit for non-Ann Arbor residents. They want to work with other communities to fund it. So that's why it's in 2017, and it may be pushed off further than that. Thank you so much for the detail. I've got a couple, I think, small questions. One is, when you go through this, because you've had to um, create these nice little titles, um, if someone wants to find out what something is, how do they do that? I'm thinking of the general public. Okay, thank you for asking that. Very, very shortly, um, in Crest, I don't know if you had uh, discussions with Dave today, but um, we've developed uh, an application that will be part of Map Ann Arbor. And it will be the CIP program with little dots all over the city. So if you see one near where you live, you will click on it. It will call up that detail that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So you folks... Um, as commissioners could use it, citizens can use it, you know, virtually anyone who wants that information. And it will give a brief scope of the project, like um, as Commissioner Mahler asked a question, he could go and see a little bit more about that, the funding. Uh, you folks can see it in chart form, but it will be a little more visually friendly. Um, and then you can even generate and print a report, which will have a little inset map of the area if you wanted to keep it or print it for say you were on some commission where you wanted to have that material. Um, so that will be coming very soon. And Chris, I don't know if you and Dave have decided on a launch time for that yet or not. So very soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, send us an email when that's, when that's ready. Will that also be accessible through this list? I mean, you know, I go through the list of words and see something that looks interesting. Um, can I get from this to that information? No, not at this point anyway, because this is actually a report mm -hmm. that was generated out of the database. So the individual projects are not clickable type uh, events, just the way this report is mm -hmm. generated. So unfortunately, no, that is not possible right now. 
But I suspect your um, geographic approach may be the one that's most <laughs> appropriate and so. interesting to people. Thank you. Um, another question about the actual amounts in each of these columns. I think I've asked Crescent this every year, but <laughs> so it's your turn. Um, the actual amounts, do they represent, and, and putting them in particular years, does that represent um, a budget that you believe the city can meet? Or are there some things on here? Well, I think there's some things further out where there's definitely um, additional funding would be required. But certainly for the first few years, are there things in here that require funding that we don't have? There certainly are in the program as a whole. And in the database, we use the symbol dollars, no dollars, mm -hmm. uh, to indicate that they are not actually funded. But we still indicate where we think the funds will come from. In other words, we know we plan on applying for a grant, and it will be an MDOT grant or a federal grant or as much as we know of the nature of it. In the first two years, um, very few that would not be specifically funded, uh, and even those are, you know, we have something up our sleeve, but it hasn't materialized yet, so we don't say. But otherwise, for instance, when you look at the sanitary and they total up to whatever, those are based on what finance tells us the expected revenues will be, and that's what they have to draw from, or I should say the revenues that are set aside for capital. Uh, things besides personnel and maintenance and so on. So yes, funding sources are known or in the database itself indicated um, as not funded yet. Like the drop-off station is a perfect example. It's a project we all know we want to see happen, but the funding is not locked down. In most cases, it's because they're grant-funded or interagency. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, then my just my last comment, um, the back of this report has the um, survey that was done. And I don't know if anyone's listening on television, but I just wanted to thank those who gave comment to help um, inform this plan and that it's really helpful to know what the community's priorities are or at least get reassurance on what those are. So uh, thanks to anyone who waded through that survey. I would ditto that. <laughs> yeah. Any other comments from commissioners? So we need to take a vote. All those in favor, raise your right hand and say yes. 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 We have a unanimous vote on the CIP. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Deborah. Thank you so much. Okay, item 10, audience participation. One last chance to address the commission on probably anything. Not seeing anyone, we'll move on to item 11, commission proposed business. Do any commissioners have anything they wanna bring up either tonight or for a future meeting? Commissioner Derezinski? Uh, just one item that uh, I've been working on and that is the uh, symposium. Uh, that we're working with an AARP. It's moving along pretty well. Uh, the date is February 28th, and we're now uh, closing in on some potential speakers and also reaction panels. So that'll take place uh, at the Palmer Commons, uh, the all-day affair, and uh, I think we had to come up with a, a slight cost. I think it was 25 or $30 to cover the 
just the speakers that we have to pay something for. So y'all come. Uh, we, uh, you're welcome as long as you can pay the freight. Thank you. What time is it? It starts at uh, 8 o'clock, coffee starts. 8 a.m. Yeah, 8 a.m. And then, uh, you know, the speaker, I think, will be doing the welcoming about 8.45. Anyone else? Item 12 is adjournment. Do we have a motion to adjourn? Commissioner Klein, seconded by Commissioner Mahler. All those in favor, raise your right hand and say yes. Yes. Yes, we are adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.